Paul has, he's done kind of the body of his letter, and he is just, he's kind of making what I call personal greetings, personal conclusions, and he's just shared with them, and of course, Paul's missionary heart. He said, I'm on my way to Spain. I'm going to Spain because that's where I want to preach the gospel. I'm going to visit you on the way. Uh, I want to do more preaching. I want to do more evangelism. I want to plant more churches. I want to do more teaching. And what is really interesting in this passage that we're going to take a look at is that Paul is willing to interrupt his plans to do something else. And I mean, reading the letters of Paul, just what I get paid to do, right? I'm reading the letters of Paul and all of this kind of stuff, and you're kind of go, the man has a passion for theology and the Word of God and teaching and preaching. What in the world could be so important that he's willing to stop his plans and, in a sense, be interrupted and be detoured? Meeting the needs of the poor. This is fascinating. Paul is so committed to the social implications of the gospel that he's willing to take a detour on his plans in order to give to the poor. And he does so because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's overwhelming, abundant generosity has a hold of his heart. So I want to pose a question to you. See, I don't ever want the sermon time or a time. Do I want you to do things like reading your Bible and follow along and take notes, go ahead and do that. But the point of the sermon is not just so you can say, ooh, got some good information. I truly want the gospel of Jesus Christ to impact and grab hold of and change and transform our lives. We listen to the word of God for transformation, not simply information. So here's the question I want you to explore and ask God to kind of search your heart out as we look at this, and that is, what has hold of your heart? So let's take a look at this as we look at the passage this morning. Romans chapter 15, verses 25 to 33. Paul writes, at present, however, he's just told him in verse 24, I'm coming to see you on my way to Spain. But he says, at present, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia, that's northern, today's northern and southern Greece, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and I have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Friends, I long for the church to be the church. You realize as we embark on this venture called LOPC 2.0 that my goal in doing this and the goal of the session of this, it's not growth, it's not simply reaching younger people, it's not more numbers. That may be desired fruit and if the Lord brings that, great, but the goal, and I do want you to hear this, the goal is gospel renewal. I've shared this story before, a long time ago, you may not remember, but it's worth 
repeating. It's a story that's told by former PCA pastor Greg Thompson. And he says this, he says, I want you to imagine a woman. Let's say she lived somewhere historically between the second century and in the 16th century. And let's say she lived somewhere, generally speaking, in the re region of the Mediterranean. It could be as far south as northern Africa. She could live as far east as modern Iraq. She could live as far north as northern France or even England or Scotland, and as far west as modern Spain. Now, I want you to imagine that she is, out of some terrible necessity, obliged to make her way on a journey across the remoteness of the world. So in other words, she is in need. She is in dire need. So she leaves whatever shelter is hers. She wraps herself in a cloak or a cloth, and she steps out into the dark and restless world. Can you see her? Can you imagine her? Can you picture her? And as she steps out onto her path and she bends her long and lonely course towards whatever town or village or city held her hopes, in all likelihood, she spent her day scanning the horizon for one thing. You know what that one thing is? A church. A church. See, sometimes churches might have been huge cathedrals, rising up in stone and filled with light. Sometimes they were small, tiny little parishes tucked away and in roads, and some of you have seen them, and they're filled with intimacy and family atmosphere and warmth. Sometimes they were monasteries tucked behind walls but filled with songs and prayers. But no matter what kind of church it was, all of them shared a common vocation, a common mission, a common purpose, to be the faithful presence of love in their time. And this is why she would look for a church out of all the things in the world. Because she could know the church, the one thing she would certainly know, and that most people did know, and that is that the church was a place whose very purpose, whose very reason for being was to be light in the darkness. And if they're not light in the darkness, they might as well shut the doors. Its purpose was to be a presence in all the absences of the world. Now the reason this story resonates with me as much as it does and strikes me the way it does is here's this hypothetical woman and what is she looking for? She's looking for a church. Is that what people seek out today? The church has become at best irrelevant, at worst marginalized. The saints in Jerusalem, here's the context of this passage, the saints in Jerusalem had a dire need. They were in need. And Paul was committed to making that need known and met. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ had gripped his heart. See, we need to ask ourselves the question, are our, heart, our hearts animated controlled, governed by the gospel of grace. We live in a world that's been blessed in so many ways, but with those blessings come a lot of distractions and a lot of things that are in competition for the allegiance of our hearts. Friends, what has hold of your heart? Do you know what has hold of your heart? I know it's easy to say, of course Jesus does. Does it? 
This text is going to teach us basically, and this is a hard text. It seems so easy. What are we doing? Paul's saying, well, I'm going to visit on the way. I'm going to drop this off, and I'm going to do this. No, this is a challenging text because Paul gives basically two diagnostic tests that are barometers, if you will, of what truly has hold of your heart. Two things in this text describes what has hold of your heart and how you can know. First is your attitude towards the poor reveals your heart. And secondly, your commitment to prayer reveals your heart. I want to assure you this is not a sermon about money. That would be easier in some ways. This is a sermon about your heart. First, your attitude towards the poor reveals your heart. Look at the text with me. Paul says in verse 25, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased. Now, Macedonia and Achaia, I think I mentioned it before, that's today's northern and southern Greece. That would include churches like Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica. says they were pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They didn't look at it as just mere duty. They were overjoyed to be given the opportunity to give. That reveals our attitude a little bit. They decided, they said indeed they owed it to them. We'll get to that in a minute. It says, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in their material blessings. And then he writes, when therefore I have completed this and I have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Okay, here's Paul on his way to Spain, and he says before he does so, and on the way he's going to visit Rome, but he's com committed to completing this task, to go to Jerusalem to bring aid to the believers there. Now, what is the need, and how did it arise? See, the history of the early church is actually very fascinating. Commentators remind us that Acts chapter 2 records us for us the description of the early church and how the church early would often they would pool their possessions into a common purse. They would sell their belongings, their farms, their fields, and put the proceeds in a common possession. And in the course of history, a famine hit. And as a result of the famine, the people in Jerusalem and Judea were in great need. And facing hostility from fellow Judeans who rejected the gospel and resented their allegiance to it, they ended up in dire need. Now here's Paul, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, and he's discipling these new planted churches amongst the Gentiles, and he told them, I don't want you to necessarily sell everything and have a common purse, but rather I want you to look after each other's physical and financial needs. The assumption was that some would still own their homes, they'd own their businesses, and they would be in a position to help. In other words, the goal was the same, take care of each other, you're a common family. You're there to meet needs. The church is the place where the absences of life in every dimension, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, can be filled. The theological assumption behind this is that God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. In other words, if the gospel has grabbed hold of your heart, this is why this is a barometer you have a certain attitude towards your stuff, and that is your stuff is not your own. The gospel gives you a different attitude towards your stuff, and your attitude toward giving will reveal 
your heart, specifically what has hold of your heart. Is it God or is it your money or security or comfort or affluence or status? Is it the kingdom of God or is it the kingdoms of this world? See, the, God, the gospel changes our hearts. Remember I said before, God is after your heart, not your wallet. And the gospel changes your hearts because it is in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we see the self-giving of, of God in the person of Jesus Christ as the pattern and model for our giving and our life. See, it's only the gospel that can change your heart. Remember that part of Paul's history was opposition to him and to his gospel. Opposition he faced in Judea. Galatians chapter 2 recounts for us some of the history of opposition. It says there were certain men from James, not James himself, but certain men, they were called Judaizers, and they did not see the, way, the gospel the way Paul did. And Paul's saying, I still want to give aid to these believers here. Follow this with me. I want to give aid to people who opposed me, people who didn't like me. See, this is where giving reveals the heart. Paul could have easily done what? He could have turned his back on them. He could have turned his back on the Christians from Judea. He could say, they don't deserve help. They opposed me. They didn't always go along with me. They didn't listen to me. Now they have what's coming to them. See, what's our reaction? What's our heart towards those who are in need? Do we look to blame them? Do we look to fix them? Or do we ask God the question, do you want to use me to be part of the solution? Do you want to use me to help? See, again, this is why our attitude towards helping those in need reveals our heart. Generosity, our attitude toward the poor and needy is a barometer of our heart. See, we see what has hold of Paul's heart through his desire to give to those who even opposed him. We see Paul's heart. One commentator put it this way. He said, Paul remembers that at the core of the gospel is God's generous love for those who are not only undeserving, but also in active opposition. Even if we think we are correct in seeing certain others in the wrong, they might just be the very people we ought to be helping. See, Paul understood what the core of the gospel was. This is what gripped his heart. Paul understood what he wrote earlier in the letter, that God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do, do you hear that? While we were still sinners. God didn't say, you know what, maybe I'll send Jesus for you when you get your act together. Let me give it a little time. Let me see how spiritual, how moral, how obedient, how together you can be, and then maybe I'll give Jesus. He said, no, while you were opposing me. As a matter of fact, the rest of that text says, for if while we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Can you see why giving and generosity is a barometer of your heart? Are you looking at it as, do they deserve it? Are they to blame? Do I agree with them? Do I see it the same way? 
Or do you see it that there's a need and God has abundantly, overwhelmingly, while I was opposing him and while I was his enemy, he sent Jesus in over-the-top generosity to die the death I should have died. See, look at what we learn here. Look at verses 26 and 27. Paul goes on, he says, Macedonia and Achaia, northern and southern Greece, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor. They were pleased to do it. So, yeah, we could say it's required of us or it's required of them, it's our duty. But see, it's not just a duty. Again, what had hold of their heart? They were pleased to give. They were pleased to contribute. It welled up from their hearts. It gives them joy and fulfillment to participate in the contribution. That is amazing. I, can you imagine what it would be like if we said, here's an opportunity to give, and you all rushed because you were so pleased, overwhelmed to contribute. What made them so pleased to give? Well, they actually said they owe it to them. Now, what does that mean? Why would they say that? Tim Keller writes, he says, because the gospel of grace came to the Gentiles through the Old Testament and the Jewish people. Not that Gentiles owe all Jews because of race, no. But Gentiles have received spiritual blessings through the gospel, and this should make us generous to those in need. He writes, the principle is not one of race, but grace. They owe the poor because they owe Christ. That's why the question is, has Christ gripped your heart? See, I want you to experience the joy, the satisfaction, the fulfillment of Christ being truly, experientially, the center of your heart. I want you to experience forgiveness. That's not just a proposition you assent to, but it's like food you can taste. It's like feasting on something. Your guilt removed. There's no more condemnation. You are accepted by God. You are treasured by Him. He rejoices over you. He sings and dances over you. That generosity is what I want to well up in you. I want grace to grip your life so that it pleases you to present your very life as an offering to Jesus Christ. Friends, that's gospel renewal. That's the first point. Giving reveals the heart. Second point, look at ver with me at verse 30. Your commitment to prayer reveals your heart. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice when he was talking about taking the aid to the saints. In he didn't say, I appeal to them. He's just like, this is what I'm doing. Why? The gospel's gripped my heart. Now he's appealing to them. Now he's making a direct ask. But look at what his direct ask is for. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. To strive together, that word means to contend alongside, to contend with, to fight together. I want to know your partnership, and I appeal to you, let's pray together, let's commune with God together for two things. One, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. See, opposition comes from both within and without. One of the reasons we resist the gospel is that it is the power of God and it will attract. Some people will be drawn to it 
and it will repel. Some people will be mad at it. The gospel causes spiritual warfare. And Paul is saying, let's strive together in our prayers that one, I would be delivered from unbelievers in Judea, and two, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. He says that because he doesn't know how they're going to receive the gift. How are they going to receive the gift from non-Jewish sources? Will they be excited to get it? And so he says, this is spiritual battle. Let's strive together in prayer. He's enlisting, he's enlisting their partnership to join vigorously with him in prayer to God. See, again, prayer reveals the heart. When we've been reconciled to God, when we've received forgiveness, again, it is not just to get us into heaven. It is to bring us into a relationship, into communion with God. And see, if that doesn't excite us, that reveals something about our hearts. The God of the universe, the God of glory. Did you hear the first hymn we sang? Immortal, invisible, God only wise. It is only the splendor, not of darkness, but of light. He is so beautiful, so outstanding, so glorious, so filled with splendor, so majestic, it takes light to hide him because we can't handle the glory. This God has said, I know you, I hear you, I see you, I am interested in you. Has that gripped our hearts that we want to commune with you? Friends, I'm going to be blunt and I'm going to be honest. If it did, we wouldn't just have 10 people at prayer meeting at 9.15, we'd have 50 people at prayer meeting at 9.15. And again, I'm not saying this to make us feel bad. I want us to be honest enough to ask the question, what has hold of your heart? The goal and the vision of what we do here is gospel renewal. Whether that means 50 people in the congregation or 500 people in the congregation, the goal is that we would be on fire with the love of Christ. I want you to see and to taste how much Christ loves you. One of the things that amazes me in the book of Acts when the early church was going on, and it talked about Peter and John healing people and stuff, but one of the things it says in the early chapters is that when people were opposing him, it says, we know those two men, for they were with him, meaning Jesus. I want LOPC to be known as people. I want the community to say, there's something different about them because they're with Jesus. Something about them is unique. Something about them is different. Their love is different. Their commitment to truth is different. Their commitment to justice is different than what I hear on the news. Their commitment to hold, they are a different sort of people because they've been with Jesus. That's what prayer does. And prayer then reveals the heart. And I want to close with this. If you're sitting here and you're convicted over the condition of your heart, what should you do? Well, I want you to hear the good news. I want you, you can't just say, I'm going to change the condition of my heart by working harder, striving more, doing better. I want you to hear how much God loves you. Paul said to the church at Corinth, one of the churches that was so pleased to give, 
He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We need to strive together in prayer to appropriate these realities. We need to appropriate these redemptive benefits that God loves us and treasures us and accepts us. See, your only hope, my only hope, is the power of the gospel. The power of Christ's generous, over-the-top love for us. The love that was demonstrated on the cross. That's what I implore you. Fly to God. If you're convicted, run to Jesus. His arms are open wide waiting to embrace you, waiting to meet you.